One of the first axioms of preaching is that the first person you're always preaching to is yourself. And for the past couple of weeks, we've kind of shifted around some of the sermon series we had planned, and we've adjusted those to address our current reality. But I got to tell you, friends, I just didn't have another COVID-centric sermon in me. The thought of sitting down to write another one would be like preparing a meal not even I wanted to eat. So what we're going to do is serve you up some scriptural comfort food. Oh, yeah. For the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at one of the most beloved scriptures of all time, Psalm 23. Six verses, six weeks. I'm raring to go, so let's get into it. I just turned 36, and there's there's a few things you need to accept as you head into your late 30s, uh, for me anyway. And one of those that I, that I have come to grips with is that I'm out of touch. I finally accepted the truth while watching Making the Cut on Amazon Streaming. Uh, if you're looking for a show to binge watch, this is a good candidate. Very underrated. It's uh, Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn, and it's kind of a knockoff of Project Runway, one of their old shows. But it's a reality competition where people put on fashion shows, and one by one they're eliminated until there's a winner. And the other day we were watching, and they introduced a judge. Her name was Kiara Ferrani, and she was introduced as an influencer. And I was like... What's that? This is a concept I've struggled to grasp. How does one become an influencer? Do, is that like something you can minor in in college? How, how does this work? Someone please explain this to me. As far as I can tell, an influencer's job is twofold. One, convince you that you need something. And then two, offer that thing for sale that you need. Right? One of the, the hallmarks of influencers is the social media clout that they wield. Kiara has over 19 million Instagram followers. And so literally people follow you. And then these influ influencers have the goal of influencing your consumer behavior. What a world. <laughs> Who do you allow to influence you? And I'm talking about a lot more than what brands you buy from. Who you follow determines your desire. I'm convinced that so many problems on planet Earth and so many problems in our personal life are rooted in the fact, the result of people following the wrong leader and desiring the wrong things. And Psalm 23 speaks to this. In one single verse, we read such definitive truth that it makes us evaluate our deepest desires and who we're giving authority to over our lives. We're going to go old school, verse by verse. I've never done this before. My scripture, one verse, just one. I got plenty to say. Don't worry. Buckle up. This week, it's Psalm 23, verse 1. So if you have a Bible handy, I'd invite you to, to get that out. Go ahead and pause the video. It's fun to be able to say that while we can, right? If uh, you have your phone or if you're an electronic person like me, go ahead and pop open an app, Psalm 23, verse 1. We read at the beginning, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. So immediately two questions come to mind. What is a Psalm and who is David? Right? The Psalms uh, are found in the first half of the Bible called the Old Testament, probably somewhere in the middle if you're looking at a physical book. They're a collection of poems and the word in the original Hebrew meant songs of praise. And we get the word Psalm from the Greek word, samoi, which also means psalms of praise. 
excuse me, songs of praise, duh, same thing. The author of 73 of these psalms is David. David was Israel's greatest king. He was a shepherd, a warrior, and a king whose life was full of great victories and great struggle. When you look at Psalm 23, David spends the first three verses describing God to the audience, which is us. But then kind of midway through, there's a pivot and David changes his audience and he begins to address God directly. And these few verses are some of the most profound and foundational concepts of who God is and how we can relate to this God. And this is part of the reason that this psalm, this 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 poetry, this great truth has endured for generations, for thousands of years. Fun fact, this is one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized. Shout out to first grade Sunday school class at Centralia United Methodist Church. Love you. So here we go. Psalm 23, verse 1. Eight words. That's our scripture today. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So the organizing metaphor of this psalm is conceiving of God as a shepherd. So this is crucial not only to us understanding the context and the rest of the psalm, but even beyond that, this is a theme that runs throughout the Bible, that this identification or this metaphor of God being like a shepherd. The Hebrew word shepherd is used 73 times in the Old Testament, and the equivalent is used in the New Testament 17 times. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, we read this. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. In the New Testament, Jesus declares himself the good shepherd in John 10. Pastor Sherry and Pastor Mitch gave a sermon about that a few weeks ago during our I Am series. I encourage you to check that out on our website. In Hebrews 13, we read this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. So if we want to understand this picture of God being like a shepherd, then it'll be helpful for us to understand the role of shepherds in ancient society. We'll be learning this kind of throughout the series as David weaves these amazing descriptions of, of just what exactly what a shepherd does throughout the rest of the psalm that we're going to be reading in coming weeks. Uh, and, and, and it's also interesting to me that this psalm was written by David, who was himself a shepherd. He was well acquainted with the work. This work was dirty and stinky, humble, hard work. Shepherds were considered in Jesus' day, uh, a long time after David wrote the psalm, but uh, even 2,000 years ago during Jesus' day in the first century, shepherds were considered among the, uh, the lower class, one, one of the most humble occupations, and yet a very necessary one in their agricultural society. And as our culture has gotten less agrocentric, a lot of us may miss some of the nuances in this metaphor of God being like a shepherd. Philip Keller wrote a classic devotion called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And speaking from experience, he said this, sheep do not just take care of themselves as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. So the image of, of the Lord being our shepherd is a tender one. And Philip continues, 
to think that God in Christ is deeply concerned about me as a particular person immediately gives great purpose and enormous meaning to my so short sojourn upon this planet. God cares about each of us like the shepherd cares for each of the sheep in their flock. While this is a comforting thought, the comparison to us as people to sheep is far from a compliment, right? Sheep are high maintenance. They can be timid and stubborn. And my six-year-old is going to get after me for saying this, but sheep can be stupid, right? Jesus in Matthew 9 compares uh, the struggles of people to sheep. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Isaiah 53 verse 6 very famously says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Left on their own, sheep don't do well. They'll overgraze and overfertilize a plot of land until it's ruined. Right? Their herd mentality can lead to their own destruction. When I think back to the hardest and most challenging times in my life, they usually align with me choosing to go on my own way, to choose a different path than the one God would have had me on. This is a link from our last two sermons that God has given us a choice, right? To, to follow him and accept his leadership as our shepherd or to choose our own way. And so in just five words, the Lord is my shepherd. David says a lot about God. And in the next three words, he says a lot about himself because of who God is. And so in Psalm 23, one, we read, I lack nothing. Now this is a bold statement from a dude who's been through a lot. I mean, if you read First and Second Samuel, it, it's like a season of Game of Thrones. It's crazy. So there's too many things to list, but here's a short sample of some of the things David endured. He had a head, put, uh, excuse me, a price put on his head by King Saul, his political rival, also his father-in-law. Right? David engaged in in awful sexual sin. David experienced the death of a child. He experienced the betrayal from his other children trying to overthrow his kingdom. I mean, there's just not enough time for me to get into it. David has been through a lot, great victory and great struggle. And I think that's what makes part of, uh, excuse me, I think that's part of what makes Psalm 23 so amazing is the personal nature of it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There's an intimacy that we read in these six verses. The protection and provision of the shepherd are detailed through the rest of the psalm, which we're going to read uh, this whole series, and we're going to unpack those week by week. David is saying that as a shepherd protects and provides for their sheep, so the Lord has provided everything he needs. Are we able to say the same? When we read the rest of the psalm, we see that David still has enemies. He still walks through dark circumstances. So lacking nothing can't mean immunity from trouble. So what does it mean? Right To say I lack nothing implies an unshakable commitment and peace that comes from placing your trust in the good shepherd. That's what it means to lack nothing. We see the same principle at work in the New Testament when Paul, who was a servant of the church, wrote the following from prison. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, 
whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And we see from the same chapter that this faith in the Lord, our shepherd, is not tied to circumstances, but rather it's, it's a confidence from an eternal perspective that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So what if we want to be able to say along with David, I lack nothing, but we still feel empty inside. I'm going to pull a real 36-year-old power move here and quote a John Mayer song. So I'm just going to wave my generational flag right here for you. John Mayer has a song called Something's Missing. And in that song, he says, friends, check. Money, check. Well slept, check. Opposite sex, check. And in the chorus, he says, something's missing, but I don't know what it is. Friends, when we look to things other than the Lord, our shepherd, to lead us, they will always come up lacking. Sometimes we look outside of ourselves. We look to others to set the standard for our approval and our worth. You know what kills me? There's a national chain of hair removal spas. The name, Ideal Image. Right? Hair removal, ideal image. That is hurtful. That is hurtful. Right? Every day we're exposed to thousands of commercial messages, each of them aimed at convincing us that we need something, that, that there's a hole, that something's missing. Right? And we think that the latest thing will give us what we're looking for. But French fashion or tech or, or cars can never satisfy because by design, they're going to be updated. Whatever you have acquired will eventually be found lacking. That is a guarantee. Or, or we look to human leaders for security and we can revere them. But every potential leader will someday fall short and disappoint you. Friends, I don't care who you're voting for in November. They are not the shepherd of your souls. Now, one of the fun things is I get to say this very boldly because I don't have to deal with any of you in the lobby. So that's fun. Whoever you vote for in November is not the shepherd of your soul. They will disappoint you very quickly. Right? Uh, like we can also look inward to, to try and satisfy what we lack. You know, if I just work harder or, or studied more or, or were a better parent or, or if I tried harder to be a better person, that's not going to work either. I heard a, a pastor once say the hardest person you'll ever lead is yourself. Friends, who you follow determines your desire. If you follow financial gurus, you'll desire more wealth and it'll never be enough. If you follow the hottest trends, then you'll desire the latest and greatest, and there'll always be someone cooler than you. I know it's hard to believe. If you devote yourself to politics, you'll desire more power, and you won't have to wait long to be disappointed. Right? If you follow your own sexual gratification, you'll desire more variety and descend into greater depths of dehumanizing what God meant for good until either your soul, your health, or your freedom is ruined. If you follow yourself, you're setting yourself up on the treadmill of self-reliance. Your world becomes very small. And then what do you have left when you run out of steam? Friends, the bad news is that we'll try a lot of, a lot of these things and we'll find each of them lacking. 
The good news is because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, it is possible to join David in saying, I lack nothing. You don't lack approval. God has demonstrated his approval by creating you and sending his son for your sake. You don't lack love. God demonstrated his great love for us in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You don't lack care. God desperately wants to know you and care for you as a shepherd knows each sheep who the Bible says he calls by name. And God does all of this, the Bible says, even while we are still yet sinners. So to me, the question Psalm 23:1 begs is what does it look like for the shepherd to lead you? It boils down to living your life by what the Bible calls the royal law. And that's to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Very simple, simple to understand, a lot trickier to do. This week, I consulted with a bona fide sheep expert. Our very own Mike Rogers is not only a fireman, he's not only a rock star, he's also a shepherd. I mean, save some talent for the rest of us, man. Come on, come on. And and, and so uh, he's the worship leader at Westside. Uh, hopefully you saw him at the, at the beginning of worship here. And, and, and so I texted him because yes, his family owns sheep and boy, are they cute. Right, we were texting and I said, yo man, so what, what have you learned about sheep? And this is what he said. Sheep are naturally afraid of any predator. It's just instinct for them. But once they trust the shepherd, they will follow him. Truthfully, they build trust by getting fed. And I was like, oh man, now I know how I'm gonna end this sermon. So this week, let's let the Lord, our shepherd, feed us. Pastor Sherry, Pastor Mitch, and pastor myself, we're going to all be leading online Bible studies this entire series. We want to give you an opportunity to be fed from God's word, to, to enter into the presence of, of the Lord, our shepherd, by learning more about him, by studying his word. So that's going to be going on every week. We'll have information on our website, on our social media, and in the newsletter. I hope you'll be able to check that out. That's one way to let God's word feed you. Spend time reading Psalm 23 this month. Right, we're doing this for six weeks, so let's make this psalm our prayer. Right, remember, a shepherd typically oversees a flock. Sheep are not solitary creatures, and neither are we. And so I just want to remind you with, with the good news that you're not in this by yourself. I invite you to, 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 to think about who you might be able to join Right, so, so who else can you seek out from the flock to kind of partner up with? Right, Another way to be fed by the shepherd is to team up with someone else who's looking to do the same thing as you. I love from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Who is a godly person that you can get input from? How have they made progress on their spiritual journey? And how can they help you? How can you come alongside them? Friends, who you follow determines your desire. And my prayer is that like David, you desire to make the Lord your shepherd and that your every need would be filled by his perfect love. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your great love for us, for, for this, this humble image that you present yourself as a shepherd, one who cares for their flock and knows their sheep by name. God, amidst all the circumstances we're staring at, against all the things we've already dealt with and all the things that we know in our minds and our hearts are still to come, help us echo the words of David that we can say sincerely, we lack nothing. That we would have the faith and the trust in our shepherd to place our lives in your hands and to follow you no matter where that takes us. We thank you for this community, this flock that we can be a part of. And we ask that you continue to watch over us and guide us and help us represent you, our Lord and our shepherd. Amen.